Good evening, and welcome to Three Moves Ahead. I'm your host, Bruce Garrick. Tonight, we have a very special elite repeat guest, game designer Mark Herman. Mark, welcome back to the show. Hey, Bruce. Good to hear your voice. All right. Well, um, a lot of other people didn't hear our voices last time because uh, we actually <laughs> recorded a whole podcast, and then it turns out that only my half got recorded. So nobody was interested in uh, hearing me talk to a ghost. So we're trying to do this again. Um, right. We have a lot of things to talk about. Um, oh, cool. I have uh, played your game Fort Sumter. As a matter of fact, this is uh, this is uh, a good thing in a sense because I have played now played Fort Sumter. I think another four times since uh, since we talked. And um, we also have uh, Empire of the Sun, and uh, I think we have some Pericles to talk. About. We have a lot of things to talk about, so let's jump right into it. Um, sure. So for those people who don't know. Mark has released a new game called Fort Sumter, The Secession Crisis, 1860 to 1861. And uh, it's a little bit of a, well, I don't know if it's a, if it's a departure from your usual game. Why don't, you, why don't you describe it for us, Mark? Then that'll be the official description. Yeah, so, um, I mean, the, the bottom line is, a long time ago, I did a derivative game from Terrible's for Sword called Stonewall. And people like sort of like a, you know, a derivative game because they kind of know the original and all that kind of thing. And then I saw, you know, then obviously I did the card-driven system and there's been a lot of derivatives of the card-driven system. And finally, um, somebody did a derivative game of Twilight Struggle called 13 Days. And I realized that I could go back and do it myself for, for the people, you know, do it, do a small game in a small format that is very fast. And I, and I was really looking for a game that people could play Using my wife's exact quote, your games are not for normal people. That's what she would tell me. Okay. And so I designed a game and on Fort Sumter, which is always, you know, we can go into why that's always been a fascinating topic to me. And I did a game and she played it and she goes, too hard. So hmm. seven iterations later, she says, okay, normal people can play this. Now, I will tell you that. The experience I'm having with Fort Sumter is very different than, like, Empire of the Sun, um, which is an expert-level game, obviously. Mm -hmm. uh, I Now I have people coming up to me, sending me emails. I see them on Twitter. I, I met them at WBC, which is the World Board Gaming Championship for people who don't know the acronym. And they tell me that I've played it now with my wife 20 times. Mm -hmm. I don't know that I can remember anybody in all my career saying they played a game of mine 20 times with their wife mm -hmm. or in anybody. Okay. And so the game is having the impact that I was looking for is I wanted to see what happened if you did a game that was very short. Uh, it's only a 20, 30 minute game. You know, first game might go a little bit longer as you mess around with the rules, but ultimately it's a 30 or less minute game. And what happens if you can play a game multiple times and you can play them with, and it's just amazing to me how, uh, and by the way, it is getting a much more notice than, say, a Pericles did, you know, in the broader community. So okay. you know, as, a, as an experiment, it's, it's turning out to be a success. It uh, doesn't mean I'm not going to do the things I'm better known for, but I think it's sometimes it's good to expose people to uh, what I can do when I kind of really, I, I call it boiling it down to the essence of history, like just getting down, getting everything out of the way, but the absolute essence of what I'm trying to do, and then the game moves much faster. People learn it quicker and they enjoy it. So it's the fun factor is very high in this game. I think. Is it a sales success? 
Um, you know, I don't have any sales figures, but I was told uh, by GMT that all the retailers have already reordered multiple times. So that's usually a good indicator. Okay. Um, so now you had mentioned Pericles, <clears throat> which I believe was not a sales success. Is that correct? Um, I would say that it's um, a steady, but, you know, it's it's not it, – so so it's sold over, you know, more than half the copies that were printed are already sold. Okay, mm-hmm. so it's not – you know, everybody – GMT made its money, so there's no yeah. losses, you know, no bad news, nobody's unhappy. Um, I would say that Pericles is slow and steady now. It's probably selling several hundred copies a month, mm-hmm. not selling a thousand copies a month. So, right. you know. It, it will sell out. It's just not going to sell out like in ten weeks, like Churchill did. Yeah. So, gee, I was just about to mention Churchill. Churchill was a was a stunning sales success. It's already been reprinted, and yeah. And um, so, so it, it clearly didn't do what uh, Churchill did. Was was for some sort of attempt to recapture the Churchill magic in sales terms. I mean, is that something that it did? Did you start thinking? Well, if Pericles wasn't this breakout hit. Maybe I should start thinking about things differently. No, it's not. That's not why I design games. So no, I you know look, I long ago decided I wasn't going to be you know my my main source of income wasn't going to be from games. Mm-hmm. So I do the games that I want to play. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did do Fort Sumter. You know, I, I felt like I hadn't done a CDG and a simple one in just a very long time. And so you know, like Washington's War. So I, I felt like hey, let me. I had the topic. It was in my mind what to do right away. I had this final, I had this mechanic for the final crisis, and so it just kind of it fell together so quickly. It just sometimes I get an idea, I start messing around, and it just happens. So you just kind of go with it. But uh, no, Pericles is um, a very different game. Look, all games need to be tell a story. They need to be fun. Um, I just, in fact, I what I find with Pericles is now that people have People are starting to wake up to the game. It's, it's like it's like a lot of like Empire of the Sun is a good example. Empire of the Sun had a very slow audience build for me. Uh, the first game, the first edition of Empire of the Sun was around. I don't think it's so. It came out in 2005, and I think I don't think it was until about 2008 or nine that it sold out finally. Mm-hmm. You know, so very slow, and then something happened. Don't know what it was, but all of a sudden people played it. People played it. Yeah, that was that. Um, you know, that's one of the things, by the way, that I think is interesting. Um, I was I was on a, uh, a streaming podcast with a number of people at WBC, and uh, I want I'm I'm sad I'm going to get his name wrong. Uwe Eichert, Weikert mm-hmm. from Academy Games said that six thousand games are going to get produced this year. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously they're not all war games, but it looks like there's probably several war games a week being published it could be a little bit higher actually i just don't have i haven't looked at it carefully enough and when that happens a lot of people are buying games but they're they're buying games like i buy books in other words i have a pile of books that i literally i'm sitting in a room right now that if they lock me in and they threw food in and i could you know take a shower somewhere i pretty much have enough reading material here for the rest of my life <laughs> okay you know what i'm trying to say yeah you probably yeah. have an yeah. your book collection so you know, my 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 book buying habits are way ahead of my ability to input them into my brain. I think that's true for a lot of people with games. Yes. Uh, and so I think eventually they kind of go sit around and go, oh, I don't know what to play today. And they go, oh, I, I bought this game Pericles, you know, nine, ten months ago yep. or and let's play it. And I tell you, it really was um, 
I played with a number of people who I know were uh, are hardcore gamers at WBC, and they came away and said, wow, I, I didn't realize what this was, and they're now very turned on about it. So I think that that's going to be the case. Pericles is going to build like Empire of the Sun, mm-hmm. not Fort Sumter, but that's fine. You know, it, it, It's the game I want to play, so that makes me happy, and that, that'll continue. Well, I mean, Fort Sumter was an easy game for me to get into. I mean, I just had a friend coming over. We were going to play something else, and then I said, hey, <clears throat> before, uh, before we play uh, – yeah. I'm going to teach you this game in 10 minutes, and then it's going to take 20 minutes to play. It's going to be 30 minutes, uh, and it won't really delay us playing what we were going to play, which uh, was, I think was Cataclysm. But um, that's a very different story from Pericles, where we had to have two separate evening sessions of four people. You know, one was the sort of teach the system and and play a you know, a sort of a learning game. And the second session was to, for everybody to come back and say, okay, now we know how to play the game. Let's actually play. Uh, so I think you have to have a lot of investment. I mean, <clears throat> Empire of the Sun, I remember Empire of the Sun coming out. And uh, I think a lot of people were very, they didn't, they felt the rule book was poorly written, which I, in retrospect, I think was a stupid uh, uh, sort of projection of their inability to um, to sort of, assimilate the rules i think i think rules have developed and not not just game design just hasn't developed but i think players ability to uh, assimilate uh complex rule sets has developed um i think that in 2005 people were not sort of prepared for the kind of uh sort of out of the box um you know complexity and sort of conceptual complexity that empire of the sun has whereas i think people are able to do that a little better now i don't know if it's just practice or what but uh, i remember people complaining about empire of the sun and i think that had nothing to do with the rules being poorly written because they weren't it had to do with the people not being able to understand how to make the system go and uh, i think once people have kind of figured out how to make the system go and part of that was just playing a bunch of other games uh and slowly you know upping their complexity level you can't take the you can't take the complexity and the conceptual complexity off too far ahead at once because players just kind of reject it so i think i, I want to you know, by the way you just said something i really want to poke at you know so i was sitting on this panel and you know ever so often by the way you said something i'm going to come back to about between the first and second planes and let me forget that mm-hmm. i don't want to forget that sure thought. Mm-hmm. something you said on a recent podcast that yeah. really resonated with me but what I found is, okay, so let's say there's 6,000 games coming out, right? Sure. And But let's just say for argument's sake that there'll be, let's pick a number, 200, 200 war games got produced this year. I think okay. that's probably a reasonable number. Okay. That's more than I would have guessed, but okay. Well, give me a number, 100. Give, pick, give me a number that we, you believe in. What, how many war games will get produced this year, you think? 100, 50? off there. Okay, let, let, let's go with that. I, that's a nice, that's a simple, let's use that number. So 50 war games are going to come out a year. One a week, mm-hmm. and and we can all agree that that's at least the nano. I think it's a little bit higher, but let's just leave, let's okay. go with fifty. And amongst those fifty, my advertising budget for any of my games is basically zero. Uh, my, you know, obviously GMT does put out ads on the various websites, so they're doing their piece. But you know, it's Twitter and what, and there's all these other games out there. And what I'm realizing is that you just said something about. It was too much different. And I actually think that I'm okay with that for me. I'm not saying other other designers should do that mm-hmm. or that's the, but I think the way that I get noticed is I push all of the envelope buttons at one time. Mm-hmm. In other words, push a little bit, you're 
you're you're you know you move the state of the art forward, but you know what what differentiates your civil war game from another civil war game or you know another battle game or whatever right. it is, and I had this nice little cool change. So I think that that is one strategy. I'm taking the view in this very crowded world that the only thing that gets you real notice is being substantially different. So my, my view is that I think I'm good with the fact that the way I like to design may actually be not by a problem, but a feature in this very crowded world. And people say, well, Mark's games are not going to be like what I already already own on that topic. If, and if that's what they say, then I think I'm OK on that that point. And maybe one of these days, you know, one of them will really hit big. But I don't really care, actually. I'm doing the games that I want to play. And um, but I do, you know, so Fort Sumter is a game that I actually like to play. You know, more importantly, I my, my the mother of this little girl who's running in and out of here. Um, you know, she, I, obviously I raised her. She used to play games. But I just played Fort Sumter the other night. And she looked at me and goes, Dad, this is a really, really good game. Mm-hmm. She doesn't say that about any of my, my games because she doesn't play them. Mm-hmm. But she was willing to play this one. And so she didn't play Pacific War. Has she ever played Pacific War? Well, more interestingly, as you know, she was two years old when I did yeah. Pacific War because she watched me do it, but yeah. uh, she, she didn't get. She's never no, played inter- no, no, no future interest in that game. No, I don't think that's going to be her game, you know. But she did play Sumter, and she's a you know she's a you know the kids getting up in the middle of the night and all that stuff. And she still had the interest to play Sumter even though she was half asleep. Got it. Uh, she liked it, so that's a good sign, I think. Okay. That you know that's a different kind of game. Well. So but anyway, my only point, but like coming back to your point, yeah. you said something with the nice, the, uh, what's the, what's the guy? He came over to your house from you know it's the guy three moves ahead guy. Oh, um, Rob Zachney. Yeah, Rob Zachney, and you guys had a nice conversation. Yeah. I think you were talking about Cataclysm. Yes, and and you said the difference between the, the biggest change in optimization and experience is between the first and the second playing. I think that's exactly. Yeah. Right. Yep, that's what I think. And and so I find that people who play Pericles. Or Churchill, or any of those, or Empire of the Sun. Mm-hmm. A second time is when they really start to go, "Oh, now I get it." Right. And one game is, and mo- most reviewers only play it once, so they never get to that point. So right. that's the problem. Yeah. Well, that <clears throat> that's that's a that's a thing that that's you know that's the, that's the reason that when we played Pericles uh, the first time with the first set of people, we uh, we specifically said, "Okay, we're going to learn this. We're going to play a game, and then we're going to play again." Because there's no point in learning a game, sort of playing a test game and then putting it away. You don't. That's not. That's not how the game assimilation process optimally works. So, um, and I think that, you know, playing Churchill. I'm, I've I've played Churchill now a couple dozen times. I'm sure uh, it's still one of my uh, you know favorite games in terms of uh, just. Uh, as I think it's probably. It, Kinesia's Raw used to be my favorite three-player game, period. I mean, that was probably years ago, but uh, I think Churchill has probably taken that over. Um, but oh, good. Yeah, I, 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 just, I mean, I, I love playing Churchill. I'll, I'll pull out Churchill anytime anybody wants. The uh, problem is I really only enjoy the long campaign, which means you have to have a, you know, a good day to play it. Uh, which is not the case with Fort Sumter. You can, like, like I said, friend coming over, we're going to play uh, something else. And um, yeah, it's uh, here. Let's uh, Here's this game called Fort Sumter. I'm going to teach you how to play this game in 10 minutes. We're going to play it in 20 minutes. Uh, and then we're going to be done. And um, I found an interesting, and I, I mentioned this to you last time, but I'm going to bring it up again because nobody heard that last time. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was, we were writing in silent ink. <laughs> right. So <clears throat> you have... Uh, 
Fort Sumter is actually very nice for the for for people who don't have it. It's actually a very nice package. It's in a kind of a non-standard box size, uh, which looks weird on the shelf, but that's okay. Um, it has two uh, separate booklets. There's a rules of play and there's a playbook. And in the playbook, you have some uh, designers notes and kind of thing. And here's here's the paragraph that I that I immediately jumped out at me. So it says, um, and this is from the playbook, uh, page 15. It is difficult for a game to be thematic when you do not know anything about the historical theme. One of the advantages for Cold War games is many gamers experience some portion of the Twilight Struggle, so games on this period have an advantage in being labeled thematic. As a kid, I watched the Cuban Missile Crisis unfold, but I had to read a large number of books to understand the Secession Crisis. What I hope to accomplish here is to acquaint you at a very high level with the general themes of this American tragedy. So you basically say from the beginning that uh, you can't be expected to have the same amount of thematic resonance resonance with a game subject that happened outside of people's living memory uh or especially outside of you know people's really knowledge base i mean most people don't really know the details yeah. of the of the secession crisis so well, I, I find that with almost any game i mean people uh you know i find that people like for instance you know people will play, play people have a perception of what ancient history is let's just say right right and and I think that that perception is fundamentally movie based. If they're not, if they don't have read on the topic, movies and documentaries are going to be the sort of the foundational knowledge base. There's right. just not a lot on the Peloponnesian War. I mean, the, you know, the, the well, really there's is. two cities. Well, no, but if you haven't, I said if you haven't, if you read the book, then you have no problems playing Pericles. Okay. I get, I get tremendous. Um, I, there was some guy who said I'm a Latin, a Latin and Greek classicist, and when I read, when I play Pericles, I feel like Thucydides has come alive. Mm -hmm. So there's somebody who, understanding the details, thinks that the, the everything I did in the game is singing to him because mm -hmm. he understands. He read the book. Right. Mm -hmm. If you haven't read the book, which again, there's a lot of books, right? But sure. It's rare that nobody's read a book on World War II in mm -hmm. our generation, right? Or at least, at least among our group of Oh, you yeah. know, hobbyists, right? I mean, there's plenty of people who haven't read any books about World War II. But if you went to high school, I mean, they talk about it. You yeah, know, it's like, maybe. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I, we, we, I don't want to get into a whole discussion about the state of, um, you know, the yeah. American education system. A, but, I, yeah, but, exactly. But World War II does get covered. Sure, I mean, of course. I mean, it's close enough, you know, the Civil War, the American, but, but the World War II is well covered. Most people understand it. And more importantly, most Americans that I know had or still have a a family member who was in World War II. So there's this direct connect. I don't know anybody who didn't have a relative who was not in World War II. Mm -hmm. I had multiple ones. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm sure you did also. Mm -hmm. And and so there's a connection to World War II from an uncle or a cousin or even your parent, if mm -hmm. you're old enough. Uh, my father was too young for World War II, but my, all my uncles uh, were, you know, my I had, my uncle Chick uh, was in the, it was in the seventh, it's seventh, you know, the first of the seventh, he was in Guadalcanal mm -hmm. when I was a kid. So, you know, it was very real. To, things he told me made it very real to me. Right. Uh, as you go further and further back and and how the succession crisis has been taught is terrible. I mean, <laughs> you know, uh, it's just not well done, mm -hmm. you know, all how it happened. And so. I've gotten people like uh, Marco Arnaud did a, a, a thing. He said it was very thematic. I think Marco's very well read. Other people say, I see no theme here. Okay, you see no theme here. But that's why I wrote 
wrote some notes so that they would have something to understand the theme. If they didn't have, they have a view of what, what they're expecting. You know, again, it's a, it's a, it's a very complicated crisis and it's different than most crises. So I wrote that now, was that leading the witness? Eh, maybe you can accuse me of that, but I, I do believe that um, the, what, what, what people, when people say something is thematic, they either know a lot about it or it's meeting some expectation of what they think the theme is, whether it's correct or incorrect. Okay. Well, that, I mean, <clears throat> that's fine. So along the, along the lines of the uh, – if people were just smarter, they'd think the scheme was more thematic. No, um, no. no but, use the word smart. I said knowledgeable. But smart has nothing to do with anything. All right. All right. Um, so <clears throat> I guess the, the, the way that I would approach this then is that you have a um, – you have a series of – uh, sort of, you, you wrote a, you wrote a an introduction to the history of the secession crisis, and then as various elements came up, you put the corresponding the card. cards mm-hmm. into the narrative and said, you know, this is the card that that um, represents this event, and I would take the the uh, position that. You can take things out of history and put them in a game, but that doesn't ipso facto make the game thematic. Because, so for example, you have you have. Uh, let's just describe. We'll describe the game a little bit for people. Um, there are these things. There are are four. Um, what do you call them? Crisis dimensions. They are crisis dimensions. Crisis dimensions. Political, okay. political, public opinion, uh, the succession. Movement itself mm-hmm. and the armaments, you know, which is the Fort Sumter, Fort right. Dickens, and the guns. Right. And uh, each of these has uh, a, a corresponding uh, sort of representation on the map in terms of spaces. There are three three, three spaces per, per and there's four dimensions, so there are twelve spaces on the map. Totally. Each of the uh, each of the dimensions has a pivotal space, which if you control that space, it allows you to. Uh, make certain block le- manipulations. It has leverage over that dimension. Yeah, so, yeah. for instance, you know, Washington, um, the actual arsenals where the guns were, mm-hmm. uh, the newspapers in New York, and, of course, the border states were the key turning places for each of those dimensions. That's correct. Right. So <clears throat> if you um, if you play the game, you get these cards that allow you to play blocks on the um, on the various you know, political capital yeah, into political, those, those dimensions, in, in right? Those dimensions, right? And you know, it's very much it's a very um, a very thirteen days ish sort of mechanic where you have you can you can have at most uh, four blocks four four political capital points per side in a in a space. The side that has more political capital in a space wins that space. If you win all the points in a, all the spaces in a crisis dimension, you win. A, you get a victory point. If you um, you also have secret objectives. Each each round that, you have one. I, I've only I I've only looked at thirteen. I, I didn't remember the thirteen days have the control. The, the spaces it was the hidden objective that part. Right. I, I remember, right. But I don't think it had. The, the blocks of space is mattering other than to the, those death contracts. Well, it, it did because, uh, for example, Cuba, if you, there, you, if you had a Cuba um, objective, then if you took the North Atlantic, uh, there, was a, there was like a Cuba political oh, they, and a that, Cuba so military. One, one of the – they had this – I never understood that rule, but I, I never figured out what that meant actually. But, okay, I got it. There's this, there, there was a little circle on the map right. thing with yep. – okay, there was one of them that did yeah, that. Okay. Yeah. So it's that. And um, so, you know, for me – 
the those things, those parts where, you know, by putting the space things on Turkey or Berlin or whatever, that didn't really do anything for me. But the thing that did something for me with that game was that the you, you had death contract because you the yeah. idea, the whole idea of the Cuban Missile Crisis is that these two powers are sort of trying to, you know, uh, you know, the one up each other. That's, you know, there's, there's this kind of brinkmanship. Um, and when somebody's got a blink or there's going to be a nuclear war, nobody wants a nuclear war. So it's kind of pushing the other guy to the edge, but, uh, not going over. <clears throat> and I think that the DEF contract did that very, very well. Now in, in Fort Sumter, I have these, these four political, uh, sorry, political, four crisis dimensions. I was going to mention that the political, uh, remind me, we're going to get to this point. Remind me to, to ask you why the, uh, political, dimension doesn't have any uh corresponding uh card um because that dimension has failed it, it has no relevance in the actual final crisis i see very was. interesting okay well that's a quick answer very good okay so the so the political dimension has failed and so now you're just a uh, secession uh public opinion and uh and armaments okay um so it, well let me talk, let me talk about yeah. different crises See, Go ahead. I, I having worked in the Pentagon with the State Department and on actual crises in the world, like uh, non-combatant withdrawals and stuff like that. Um, there are a lot of different kind of crises, but the main element of a modern crisis, and I think that's really important, is the idea that there's an off ramp. You know, that there's a way to stop the world from blowing up, right? Right. Uh, where, yeah, so you can look at little pieces of this, that, or other day. Oh, that reminds me of 13 days. You know what I always say to people? Somebody goes, they say, this reminds me of 13 days. And I go, do you like 13 days? I go, yes. I said, it's exactly like 13 days. <laughs> you know, that's how I. <laughs> right. And if it's like 13 days, it's If they like it, yeah, right. right. Yeah, I, I really don't care. You know, given that they copied my system, I don't, you know, I would say that 13 days feels a lot like um, Twilight Struggle, and Twilight Struggle feels a lot to me like We the People. Uh, in the area control and the car thing. So we could say that about anything, right? So what, what, where did it start? If you want to say that that's the original game, I, I think I would disagree with that. But that's, it's a great game. No, no disparaging remarks about 13 days. But the point is, is that this is a different situation. I, it is, Fort Sumter is nothing like 13 days in the way it handles a crisis because this crisis is, there may have been a couple of days in early December of 1860 where Buchanan, if he had been a different person, could have turned it around, but he didn't. And it's not clear what he could have done. But by the time Lincoln becomes president, this thing is it, there's already a country. You know, it's not like there was they they're no longer negotiate. This is a these are two trains running at each other. And as the trains are moving toward each other, people start being either attracted or repelled by one side or the other. OK. And that's how I treat it in the game. So what you're what you're seeing is is not a crisis where I could save the union. It's a crisis that's where you know you're looking to get some kind of political leverage in what's going to happen after the crisis resolves itself, which is Fort Sumter. And and the main thing is is that it was Lincoln's adroit handling of the crisis allows him to use what is it the uh, Ordinance Act of 1795 or 90, I think it's the Ordinance Act of 97, it's right in the late um, 18th century, allows them to call out the militia when Congress is not in session. That's what the, the Ordinance Act allows them to do. Remember, Lincoln was a lawyer, and he mm -hmm. studied what he couldn't, couldn't do. And so if you are the, uh, you know, if you're the union and you win the game, 
what you've been able to do is like like history call out that militia with an expectation that they're going to show up um if you the, if the south wins the crisis lincoln's seventy five thousand call up may not go half as well as it did historically and by the way remember the seventeen thousand man call up um to put down you know forces beyond you know our ability to put down um basically caused the border states you know the last you know there were seven states in the confederacy and the last four go out with the call up for militia mm-hmm. you know you know virginia uh arkansas tennessee and north carolina okay I out. so that's what the game is about it's not about trying to you know not have the country fall apart that that's that it's a different kind of crisis. There was no war ramp in this crisis. Okay. And so I created the model, how it plays it, it's just different. And how you, and the tension in the game, which is what I'm told by players is, you know, and again, I, I built a, um, a Monte Carlo simulation, is one of the biggest problems with card games is card luck, right? Mm-hmm. That's always a big complaint. But the crisis track is designed to put a natural break so i could get the best cards you could have the worst cards but pretty much by the third round we're going to have the same number of cubes in play not saying i won't have a little bit of advantage but we're going to have about the same number of cubes in play just where i put them in 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 momentum how that happened and that's what the track is doing in concert with the cards which is very different from any other card driven game but it's a it's a subtlety but it is built into the, the system that you start running up against the tension uh there are for people who don't know there's four um tension um breaks the first one is just the opening then you have escalation you just get some more people come people who are close to your position come back come to your side you know Mm -hmm. they're not the ultras but they're the you know people that were pretty close to ultras and they jump in but when you go to the tension level now you're scaring moderates away the moderates are going whoa wait a minute you're you're pushing very hard here you're not trying to negotiate or you're not trying to you're you're making it worse Mm -hmm. and that starts to repel people and that's when the peace commissioner comes out Mm -hmm. and if you go even faster you actually lose victory points right which is showing that marching ahead at full steam is not necessarily going to be the best strategy. It's the timing of when you do those things relative to the other player, and that's really where the game is capturing what I believe is the theme of that particular crisis. Okay. So the the question then becomes, is there any – I mean, if I play – just from from my experience, if I play a card that's – you know, border states. Uh, it's it's a thing on the map. It may be very historically accurate and 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 represent the thing that I'm doing, but there's nothing about the action that that is any different from, for example, uh, whatever abolitionist newspapers, right? Well, other They're than both spaces. The, well, again, the 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 act, the physical mechanic. Yes, I agree, but the what the who's on the card and what their effect on the crisis was is what's driving you from that space instead of that space, right? So the at one time the game had um, twelve differentiated spaces, mm-hmm. and every what happened like almost every card plays everybody had to look and reread all the spaces on the map before they could play a card. It was just why is that? Couldn't remember them. You know, there were there was just twelve of them, and it's like, oh wait a minute. Do I want to play here? I get it. You know, so I, eventually I just took it off the map because it, 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 the game was like an hour and a half long. Because, and it was nothing to do with the gameplay. It was that everybody kept reading all the spaces. Uh-huh. You know, they couldn't remember, you know, they couldn't remember them. So I, again, I was going for, you know, when you start to abstract a 
very complex crisis into 20 minutes, mm-hmm. you know, is, is nothing left on the cutting room floor? I, I would submit that something's going to get left on the cutting room floor. Sure. Mm-hmm. But, but the way I chose to capture the crisis is not the physical act of whether I'm putting spaces in there or there. It's the crisis track mm-hmm. and how you're manipulating your, your, your constituents versus the opposing constituents is where the game is in my mind. Mm-hmm. And the way I gave, I captured the differentiation of the spaces is that the cards are the definition of what the space makes the spaces different from a, what I can do, you know, where I get leverage. In other words, if you play Sam Houston, you get leverage in Texas. Mm-hmm. If you play uh, Virginia waivers, you're going to get leverage in the border states. If you play uh, Frederick Douglass, you're going to get leverage in the political opinion spaces. You see my point? No, uh, I completely see your point. I mean, I say, saw your point from the very beginning. My, my point is that, you know, the fact that the card says Sam Houston <clears throat> and I play it in one space and that there's an, another card that says something else, but it fundamentally is the exact same gameplay mechanic and does exactly the same thing. And you could actually, that's the point where I feel that's, that's where theming well, see, again, lies. You're, you're, you're focusing. Well, again, this is one of those that you can, I can, I am not, what I want to be clear about is I'm not trying to change your mind. I understand uh, that. I'm not trying to change yours. I'm just trying to, sh- yeah, to but, show you what but, I'm, what, what, what I'm trying to say. Is, and you're focusing on the placement of the cubes and I'm placing, how'd you get the cubes? I you know, a card. What did you have to, no, you played a card, but where, what did it do to the track? In other words, did those come, you know, did you breach, breach another zone to get those cubes? I mean, you, you know, it's, let's say the card lets you have three cubes, right? Right. right. But if you take one cube, you don't breach a zone. If you take two cubes or more, you're breaching a zone. That's a very different situation. Uh, and it's even designed that the amount of spaces in each of the zones is less. So if you're in the, escalation zone and you play a three card when you're right up against the stop you'll go right into the final crisis right reach two zones at once and so that is what that is to me what i was aiming at to show the crisis and yes but it's it's not that the card is playing into a particular space so that is of course how you score points but it's what is the implications of my getting those tokens at this point in time and how it affects the overall the metagame of the of the actual crisis that's that's where I see the game. So you're so you are saying that the theme is in the escalation and the crisis track, and mm-hmm. the way in which the manipulation of the crisis track uh, is like the uh, sort of the, um, the that's that's where the, that's where the crisis is. It's it's how how fast you escalate and what that does to the political capital that you gain or don't gain. If you were to think of it this way, if you were to just to you know, there's 25 uh, total cubes for each side, right? Mm-hmm. So think of each, and again, I, I didn't think of this when I did it this way, but I'm just going to try to translate it into another way. Think of 100%, right? So each cube so each cube represents 4% of like a Gallup poll, okay? Yep. Mm-hmm. So if you think of it that way, you're every time you do something, you're either gaining that 4% on your side, or but you're also pushing on the other side to give them some. You know, if I push too hard, I'm actually giving constituents to the other side. Right. And that is that was the nature of the crisis in a lot of ways. And, you know, and you say, well, the pivotal space is, well, the pivotal space that all the news in that period of time, there were three major newspapers and the Associated Press had just started. So all the national news is in New York City. And so the newspapers had an inordinate pivot point on how it affected. And you'll notice that the the two of the public opinion spaces is one Southern and one's Northern. Mm-hmm. Right? 
And so it's the pivot of how that news was reported back out to the local newspapers that they, you know, they carry the AP story. They're carrying local news. You know, Joe's, you know, Joe's cow died and, you know, there was a, you know, there was an accident with a, with a cart somewhere mm-hmm. is the news. But the other big news is what's happening in Washington. And they're okay. getting that only from New York City. And so the, the power of controlling the pivotal spaces is very important in how you manipulate that crisis zone. In other words, it's not putting into spaces. It's yeah. the power of the pivotal space in relation to the other two that's actually driving the action for that crisis dimension. I see. That's the differentiation that I was going for. There's two levels of differentiation, a pivotal space and not a pivotal space. Got it. Okay. Well, well, is it is it the ultimate simulation in 20 minutes? No. No, well, I, I, I'm not expecting it to be the ultimate simulation. Now, t- tell me tell me this, though. Um, explain the uh, explain the final crisis where you <clears> – <throat> so for the listeners, these, these uh, crisis dimensions translate into <clears> – <throat> each card has a uh, has little footer. Uh, which is printed with the with the name and color of the, one of the one of the crisis dimensions, uh, except for the political dimension, which Marcus, right. Marcus pointed out does not uh, figure in the final crisis because the political dimension had failed. So you have armaments, you have public opinion, and you have um, the secession uh, movement. And what you do is it's this is uh, a way in which uh, you you collect these cards each uh, round. You draw four cards, but you only play three. So the way in 13 days where you put a card in for the aftermath, here you put a card in for the final crisis. Right, but the, well, but the aftermath is just victory points. I, oh, I understand. Yeah. I get it. But you, you, So yes, there is a mechanic here. Um, so the mechanic is that you get the cards for final crisis, and each one of them that you've placed there has uh, a footer that's one of the, one of the three remaining viable crisis dimensions. And you then order them with the uh, with the other player order. You order them secretly, and then you reveal them one at a time. And if they are the same, so there are th- remember there are three dimensions. So if, if the players reveal the same one, then they do one thing. If the players reveal different ones, then they do a different thing. And so if they're the same, the players kind of have to back off. And if they're different, the players can escalate. So tell me about that, Mark. What, what's that supposed to do? Okay, so so what happens, you know, so let's go to the real crisis for a moment, right? Okay. So in the real crisis, uh, and by the way, you should also know that the deck is set so that half of the choices are armaments and the other two are broken into the other 20, 25 and 25. Mm-hmm. So there's a heavy emphasis on the armaments dimension, okay, just to be, so you understand it's not the yes, industry. Yes, I counted those out, yeah. Okay. Yeah, well, I, so did I when I did it. Hmm. Um, so what happened in the crisis is that Lincoln and Davis are have a bunch of agents now running off doing different initiatives, trying to achieve some outcome, right? And the outcome they're trying to do is get, get leverage. And, and the idea is, is that when you pick different, when the cards don't match, that initiative was successful, whatever it was. It was either I got more succession leverage or I protected my succession base, right? I, I talked to my base. Uh, so I, in essence, like I, if you're the South and you play a succession card and the union doesn't match it, you now are able to put more political capital into maintaining your political base, not something that's not unknown in today's world, right? If you, if the union um, plays a succession card when you play a succession card, 
it's them trying and if the union played a card in the south didn't they remember the most of these states went out on very thin majorities you know as it was more of the um the elite class but you know mo- most states went out with only 15 percent or less in some cases of the of the electorate of that state supporting succession okay but it was a little bit of a rigged you know it was a rigged vote as they say mm-hmm. uh remember and remember the governor of south carolina was not elected he gets appointed by the legislature so the legislatures are very powerful in the states in this period of time it's just a different political uh, system or it's a it's a modification we, we've modified it since then and and so what happens is, is that if the North plays a succession card and the South didn't match it, the unionists are able to actually get some kind of movement out of the, you know, the silent majority in those states to actually start to create problems for the successionists is what's happening. Right. So that's what happens when we don't match or a political. And, and of course, if I if I do an armaments card and you don't, my relief operation got guns into one of the forts. Right. That's what's going on because I'm getting more resources into that dimension. So that's what not matching means. Now, when you match, it is a direct, you know, we ran into each, you know, I did something and you did something and we more or less neutralized each other to the point where we took losses. You know, there's some sense that we bounced off each other, but it wasn't, you know, wasn't free. It wasn't a free good. Okay. So Fort Sumter, the actual bombardment of Fort Sumter would in fact be two armaments cards being played, you know, Shots were fired, and there were shots fired in a couple of places at different times, by the way, not just Fort Sumter. That was certainly the culminating event. And so that's what matching means, is that, you know, I, I tried to pull this, you know, my, my Gustavus Fox is leading a um, relief operation to Fort Sumter, mm-hmm. but Beauregard opens fire. So those two bounce into each other. The, the relief expedition doesn't occur, so, I, so it, it's ineffective. I lose political capital for trying and failing, and their bombardment goes – they get the four, but they take the, you know, the umbrage of taking the first shot. So that's what the matching and not matching is representing as a simulation, but as simply as I can, I can state it, you know, okay. without a big complicated mechanic. Okay. Um, so. <clears throat> and by the way, there is a real strategy. Uh, I wrote an article. I don't know if you saw the article I published. I did not. It, it's in, inside GMT, so anybody can go there and read yep. it. But it talks about how to think about a strategy for the cards. And I actually usually set my final crisis strategy for agency one card. I already know what I'm going to try to do. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, am I, you know, am I going to and usually what I'm trying to do if I'm the unionist, I'm usually trying to play at least two succession cards into my final crisis because I want to try to disrupt whatever you're trying to do with the South to, to take away a point, okay. you know, lose you leverage. And I probably put, put a armaments or public opinion to defend uh, one of those other dimensions and vice versa. Okay. So. There are places where I I'm specifically thinking, how do I want, you know, and you can get a two point swing by my blocking one of your points and my gaining a point. That's a two point swing. That is a very successful final crisis and often then comes down to a tiebreaker. You can win the game that way. So that's why it's not insignificant in the game. Well, I find that the game, all the games that I've played come down to kind of one or two victory points. Yeah, um, I have very few. I, I I think I've had one game might have been one of the learning games where, uh, you know, one side just didn't quite get it and and lost by four or five victory points. But I think it's it's really a one or two victory point game, which <clears throat> in in that sense, getting to the, you know, breaking through that last tension track uh, is really important. I mean, it's really meaningful because you get those cubes, but you lose a victory point and that may be the victory point that loses you the game. Um, so, I mean, I, I think it's a, I think it's a well-balanced game. Um, I'm, I still, 
you know, we we have different opinions on how how the theming really works. Um, I you know, let, let, let me put it this way: yeah. I have I've gotten multiple notes from people who, and again, this is where you getting. There are people who are playing it; they know really nothing about the crisis, and when they play the game, they're having a good time. They actually don't care, right? But of course, they, they have to, I've gotten letters saying, you know, that's fine. I read your little two pager that really helped, but it's just a fun game, and I don't care. You know, I can be playing. And if they, and for some people, if you you could be playing building a farm or you know the succession crisis, but you're having a good time, that alone is worth you know the price of admission. I think. Oh sure, yeah. No, I mean, I, I'm not. I'm, the, the point of this, the point of this podcast is not to tell people that they're 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 wrong no, no. for having fun. It's just to sort of explore the uh, the, yeah. the way in which the game uh, you know represents certain things because that's what I mean. That's what I'm interested. in. I'm interested in. Um, in, well, we can talk about Pericles and Empire of the Sun, and that's just a very different experience. Yeah. Well, no, you, yeah. yeah. So let's talk about let's talk about Empire of the Sun because I I, I just uh, finished a 33 hour marathon of Empire of the Sun, and 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 for the for the listeners, yeah, Let me let me let me give them a little bit of a of a preview here, or sure. just I want to I want to set this in uh, in terms that people can understand where I'm coming from. But I want to make one more point, by the way. While there is one thing I. Before we go to Empire of the Sun sure. and Pericles in particular, I would like to just sort of say what I think a card-driven game is, okay? okay. And, and I think it's important but, I, but because I think that labels matter to people. So when you hear the word card-driven game, where do you hear the emphasis? What it, obviously, card, right? It's the right. first word. How do you miss it? But to me, when I did We the People, We the People – wasn't meant to be a card-driven game because I didn't. Nobody had done one before, so I wasn't thinking about doing a card-driven game. What I was doing, though, was a, a hearts and minds game about area control. Yeah. So we the people, and you've played we the people, I'm sure, many right? times. Okay, we the people is about a colony. If you think about a colony as an area, it's who controls internally an area. So if you think about Twilight Struggle, right? In Twilight Struggle. Uh, I just played, by the way, uh, with a uh, very close friend, Terry Coleman. We yeah. played, by the way, your 33-hour Empire of the Sun game. We played nine-hour Twilight Struggle, but not because the game takes – the game doesn't take anywhere near right. nine hours to play. But I was at WBC, and I was answering people coming up and saying, hi, Mark, and right. you know, I'm answering rules questions. Yeah. I was running a uh, Versailles behind me, and they were asking questions. So uh -huh. Terry cool. Coleman feels that we had 181 interruptions, which took us nine hours to play Twilight mm -hmm. Struggle. Mm -hmm. But in Twilight Struggle – and again, I – I, I it was really nice to play that game and reappreciate what a great game it is. Uh, if you're like, let's look, let's talk about East Germany, right? So, you know, I play some kind of card that reduces East Germany, and then I throw. So you could have a situation where there's, you know, three Soviet um, influence and there's two uh, NATO, you know, uh, you know, Western influence in the yeah. U.S. influence in the space, right? Mm -hmm. So that's a total of five influencers, right? And you can have situations with three and three and four and three. That's a common thing in a battleground um, space in Europe in particular, right? That's that's not uncommon, I don't think, Okay. Uh, in a game. So in We the People, Virginia has, I think it might have eight or nine spaces, right? Mm -hmm. So the individual spaces are the influence that gives you Virginia. You don't worry right. about the individual spaces. You worry about, do I get Virginia? Sure. That's my victory point. So. So that was the focus, and that's how you get militia, and that's how you get victory points. The whole focus of We the People is not about cards. It's about area control of colonies, the hearts and minds, and the whole mechanic of how I did all that. That's what 
uh, We the People is really about. But it has cards, right? and, and they're important, in it, and it's the thing that got the – that was the big – innovation because there's been area control games before i guess i don't know many but there were area control games before but this was the big innovation so it got the headline but to me a card driven game has three pieces one obviously it has cards with events and that drive to play the game directly right right two it's an area control game sure it's a game about controlling territory space influence the you know the mindscape of the crisis whatever the heck it is and last it's about asymmetry it's that I think a card-driven game is not all that inter- interesting because of the way the mechanic works. If it's just a straight, you know, you know, we're, we're the same. It's the it is the sense of asymmetry, and that you're playing the two sides are very different, and therefore their events and what drives them is different. That to me is the essence of what I think is a card-driven game. So Fort Sumter carries all of those elements in my mind, albeit at a much simpler level, and so. To me, it is a direct heir of We the People, though it has it does it it was inspired by the fact that hey, I, I didn't realize people were interested in seeing small car driven games. That part I did did take from Thirteen Days, which they took from Twilight Struggle, which you know, on and on, right? So where does it all begin? Chicken and egg problem. Right. But but that's what I was going for, and that's what I think about a CDG. So now when we talk about Empire of Sun, please now tell me about it, your Empire, your thirty three hour Don Stone. Empire Sunday. <laughs> yeah. So, so for everybody, uh, I absolutely uh, loved um, uh, Empire of the Sun so much so that uh, because I live in uh, on the West Coast and Don lives on the East Coast, I got up every Sunday at five a.m. Now, for me, that's not a that's not a big deal because I have to get up at before four for on regular work days. So I was actually sleeping in, but um, every Sunday uh, for gosh, probably three months, um, I got up at 5 a.m., and it was 8 a.m. for dawn, and we got on Vassal, and we played for about three hours. And those three hours allowed us to do about one turn. Uh, now, <clears throat> Don and I are friends, and we you know talk back and forth about stuff, and it, it's, it's not your uh, sort of, hey, make your move, what are you doing, uh, get, let's get going kind of thing. Uh, plus, it's you know, early in the morning, and it's a weekend, so we're not, we're not pushing it hard. But uh, it took a long time to play the game. And what, what, I, what really struck me about the game, uh, and I've, I've taught it to several people, and you had mentioned Rob Zachney came uh, over yeah. uh, recently. I was able to, for all, the people that I was sort of teaching to play the game, I was able to sort of show Rob, and I was also able to show uh, this other uh, gentleman, Tom, uh, who goes by uh, uh, I think Board Tactical on Twitter? He he played uh, Twilight, uh, sorry Twilight, um, Triumph and Tragedy with us uh, once uh, over here face to face when he was visiting uh, visiting Oregon, and um, I was able to get the the essentially get the the framework of the rules and the concepts and the you know everything that makes Empire of the Sun go. I was able to get that across to him. And to Rob in less than thirty minutes. In well, the sense, one, that means you actually know how to play the game to do that. But yes, that's right. good. But the, yes, the point is that you know there's a lot of stuff and there are a lot of things. Well, you know, if this happens, you have to do this, and you know, there's uh, you know, if you um, you know, the whole thing about you know, amphibious uh, invasions need to be you know, in certain terms, escorted. Uh, this, that, the other thing. But but I'm not talking about all the all the the. The details. I'm talking about. This is how the game works. This is a card. 
These are what the units do. This is how combat works. This is what you're looking for. This is what an operation is. Uh, this is how the game flows. This is your goal. That's 30 minutes. And uh, that's good. I think that's true. Yeah. And you um, have made the repeated point. Don is actually going to come visit uh, next next month, I guess. Yeah, September. So it's August now. Uh, in September, Don is going to come. And we have taken a four-day vacation. We're going to uh, do a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, uh, all war games. And uh, we were thinking, you know, we should play Empire of the Sun face-to-face. So we've already played. We played uh, South Pacific uh, when it very, very, very first came out. Um, when that, 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 is, that has really been a very successful little title. Mm-hmm. Really well, what I want to play actually is uh, War Plan Orange. That's a lot of fun too. I'm very yeah. curious as to how that how that one plays. Um, but I guess my point is that uh, you know we are thinking we're th- we have you know we have the, we have the entire universe of games to choose from. I mean, between me and Don, we probably own you know eighty percent of the war games that have ever been published. Um, but we're trying to figure out, you know, we have, we have four days, uh, you know, what do you do? Do you just sit down and play one game? Now we'd, we'd like to get some games out that we haven't played, uh, in a while. So we're sort of picking and choosing. And I was thinking, well, um, you know, Empire of the Sun, that's 30 something hours. So that's basically going to be three days of 10. I mean, that's, that's the whole weekend. And and you say that's not true. No, I mean, just think about it, right? I mean, look, I, I can't, I, not accounting for your, um, you know, you get, you start talking about, you know, philosophy right. or you're having lunch or right. you, you take a hike or whatever yep. you're going to do. Taking that time out, Empire of the Sun, the full campaign game is, it's, it's 10 hours. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's about an hour turn. Mm-hmm. Uh, the early turn, you know, the, the first Japanese turn is a little bit longer. Yep. And, some of the middle turns, you know, when when people, you know, the first early part of the game, but once the Japanese get beaten down, it goes much faster because the Japanese have, you know, you know, the inevitable, you know, you're starting to get into the, the, the it gets it gets interesting, but it's about a ten hour game if okay. you play the campaign game. That's what that's been my experience. Once you know how to play, yeah, I, that's and you guys do know how to play now. Well, we so. do, but I'm, I mean, I'm I'm wondering if there are, you know, I I would love to see some of these guys. You talk about the. Um, what do you call it? The uh, the Empire of the Sun expert players or tournament players or whatever. There, there. To me, I start thinking about all of the different lines of play and like what can I actually do here and what should I be doing? And, and I mean that there's a significant amount of analysis that has to go on that I'm, I'm no, sitting there thinking. The part, that's the part that I take. I I, I take no. I, I I make no excuses for. In fact, look. Right. Right. I mean, you can, we're not doing this visually, but right on the table, you know. Two feet away is Empire of the Sun. Mm-hmm. I started playing. Um, you know, I set it up, and I think I'm in turn four now. Okay. But I, I specifically sat down and looked at my opening Japanese hand to say, and it was a very good one. But it was it was interesting to see what the Allied hand was. But without going into the details, um, I wanted to say, I know I would normally play the same. Let me think of this another way. So I actually sat and looked at the cards while I was, you know, the news was on, and you know, Sophia was running in and out of the room, mm-hmm. and you know, but. But I, I sat there and I actually came up with another way to do it, and I'm not sure I like it more or less, but it was different, you know. So, but there was the opportunity. Remember, in a, if you do the um, the N choose K formula for mm-hmm. 84 cards, I'm not counting the two Japanese cards that mm-hmm. you know play the December turn. Sure. There's 84 cards, 
there's 4.529 billion unique seven card hands mm-hmm. inside in Empire of the Sun. Okay. So every time I, I deal out a set of cards, I mean, I see things that there are similar themes, but the exact things I can do with this set of cards is different than the last time I played it. You know, there's, there's subtleties and which units could do what and all that. And then, you know, the Japanese got hit with ISR very quickly in this particular game. And, and I, that was very cool and how to deal with that and not really lose a beat, which you don't, most people say, if you get ISR at the beginning of the game's over, the answer is that's just because you don't know what to do. That <laughs> you know? right, right. it's not, it's just not true. But people believe that because, again, there's a lot of games out there. You know, nobody nobody devotes themselves, you know, to one game or plays one game well. Often, a game like this, it's like chess a little bit. Like if you haven't played in a while, you know, sure. you, you got to get into it. But that's what makes it fascinating to me that I'm still playing it, you know, because it's got all of that going on. Right. Um, so the question is, will it take you 33 hours? I mean, the fact that you're not in the same room will go faster. Uh, you also sort of. The other thing you could do for as a disciplinary thing is allow yourselves, you know, you have like an egg timer. Oh, of course. Yeah, you know, set it. If you're taking more than, well, think of it this way, right? In a particular, in a game, let's do the math, right? On average, the Japanese are going to play play 50. There's 84 cards. You'll never get through the whole deck. You will usually not get through the entire deck every game. Okay. That's common. So, Let's say you're going to get through 70 cards, right? Mm-hmm. So if at least the playing of the card, you should be able to play a card within three minutes. You know, you can think, but within three minutes, you should put the card in. Now, of course, executing, you know, moving the pieces and rolling the dice and all mm-hmm. that's going to take a little bit of time. But you shouldn't let yourself take more than three minutes to play a card. If you're going to sit there for 30 minutes looking at one card, it's going to be a long game. I mean, what am I going to say? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and, um, you find yourselves... And by the way, you learn better if you get further into the game quicker. You know, you, you might make mistakes, but hey, that's that's the war, right? You know, right. you can't can't have a per- there's no such thing, by the way, and even in my I think I'm pretty good at this game and I don't think I play there's no way that I after I finish a turn I go, you know, I could have done this, that, and the other thing, and I think it would have been a little bit better. Mm-hmm. That's good, right? That means I'm still gonna come back to do it again. Even yeah. even though I I made it, that's what happens for, to me all the time. I said, oh, I've done this a little bit differently, and you know, and of course, you could have a great hand, but if the other guy's got an interesting hand, it can it can neuter a lot of the advantage of a good hand, and vice versa. I've had some really lousy hands that turn out a lot better than a much better hand because of what the other side has. So right. it's that that back and forth is just you know just you know I I guess if you have four point five two times billion, uh, I think that that's you got to multiply those, right? So yeah, you're gonna get it with a really big. You're gonna be in trillions, you know, combinations. Sure, it's just a lot. It's you're never gonna do that in a lifetime. So I'm enjoying that part of the game still. And tell me this: How come there are no counters for activation? There are no counters for. I'm sorry. Yeah, that drives me nuts. Oh, you know, I I just I just you know this is just you know play style thing. Uh-huh. I find putting counters on things and taking them off would be a pain in the neck. Okay. I just turn counters when I yeah I yeah. I mean, it's very quick to me. I mean, uh, you know what? Here's the thing. What I did do is, so, and I, I think it came up, you once asked me about, can you get partial damage from, like, uh, the Chinese uh, defense hedges yeah. or something mm-hmm. like that? Mm-hmm. I, in the game comes, I think about, I, I want to say that there's about six, I'm looking, let me see real quickly, one, two, three, four, five, six. I give you, if you and if you use the proof of purchase counter, you got eight <laughs> counters. Mm-hmm. If you want to, it's rare that you would activate more than eight hexes. So right. if you want to just throw those down, 
I, I use those as people. What are those for? He goes, whatever you want them to be. So if you want to have <laughs> right. activation counters, I already gave you activation. Oh, counters. I, I hear you. Well, I, I mean, <clears throat> that it's it's it's. It's it's not that easy because of course once I once I realize that I want activation counters I start going to other games and I start you know scavenging counters and I go to Hitler's right. War and find the you know for the Japanese I find the red you know counters and yeah, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, I mean there's all sorts of things you can do right I, I yeah. but yeah but but okay. I did give you but like I said I gave I, I I understood that there would be reasons to mark little things and so I put a bunch of counters in the game for that purpose right uh, but you know. And you got flags. You got a ton of flags. You know, so you, get, you got tons of stuff you could throw on the board just to. But I just find the simplest thing is I just I go one two. And that's how I count that I have not over activated. Also, by the way, because you know you may be only turning one unit. The hex could have three or four pieces. I'm only turning one of them on. So turning one of them is easier to count for me than if I had something on top of it. Right. Okay. Yeah, Interesting. You know, different styles. Okay. Um. So the. Uh... The thing with the thing with um, with Empire of the Sun is that I think there's there's this there's this fundamental sort of breakpoint in uh, Pacific War games. So people really want to fight, you know, tactical battles or you know get the the uh, air surprise, the carrier surprise, CV ambush. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and I I think that you can't do that if you're going to to simulate the whole war in a in a length of game that uh anybody is going to reasonably complete now yeah i know those people that played uh, a friend of mine uh, patrick mullen he um he says well you know i've played the whole i've played all of pacific war uh you know the, the whole campaign and i'm like well that's great but uh, you know i'll i'll never do that so um yeah and i probably never do i might do it one more time in my life yeah right see. right and, but but i will tell you though we had this kind i think i don't know if you we had this conversation uh -huh. but I talked about this idea of a telescoping design. Is that what yes, that yeah, we, yeah, we had that discussion. Yes, yeah. So I don't want to repeat that discussion, people. But the, the basic idea is that I, again, this is my philosophy. This is, doesn't tell you that anybody does it differently is doing it wrong, and I, I don't want to have everybody yelling. I get you. I get you. This is just this is what I think, and it has, and it has nothing to do with what's good or bad or better or worse and all that crap. So sure. I just want to put disclaimers that out. out there. Yeah, this is there's many flavors out there. There's no right answer, but to me, I find look to me games tell stories, right? Sure. And, and I think that one of the things that I think you're not the right word, but one of the, your disappointments with Fort Sumter, which I sense is, which is fine, is that you don't feel the story as strong as other games that I've done. So right. let's just leave that out there. Yep. And, I, and that's fair. That's a fair criticism. I mm -hmm. don't, you know, like I said, I have no. The higher you go in the altitude, the harder it is to see the planet. Exactly. You know, you see the planet, but it's hard to see the details on the planet mm -hmm. if you get up high enough in the air. Empire of the Sun is very specifically the, the problem I wanted you to the, the story I wanted you to live in was MacArthur and Nimitz and Yamamoto. And what what that means though is not that they're the guys in charge, but that there is a layer of of of, of command above you. That is giving you sort of a, a, a puzzle to solve, right? They're giving you here's how much logistics, which is the numbers on the cards, right? Mm -hmm. Here's your logistics, and here's this other stuff that we're doing. And 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 by the way, if you do it the way we want you to do it, you don't have to do what we want. But if you do it this way, you're going to get like efficiency. So if you can play a card in such a way that you get all the, the bonuses matter, you've done a better job than not. But you don't have to, right? There's no got it. 
the titles can get in the way sometimes for some people. That's why they, they criticize the game. Well, that never happened in this order. I said, just ignore the titles or what am I going to tell you? Right. But the point is that you're getting, and, and you're, so you're, you're fighting a war within the constraints of what's above you. And you're also relying on, you're not dealing with what's below you, you know, you're, you know, other than in, at a broad level. And so the reason, so in, so in empire of the sun, uh, you start to see, you know, most, as I said this before, most Pacific games pay homage to the carrier battle, right? Of which there were six, maybe seven. If you you know you can you could argue there's seven of them, but there's seven carrier battles. It, Leyte Gulf is probably a carrier battle, but mm-hmm. not the sense of what the other ones were like, right. right? But you have Philippine Sea, and you got the you got Midway and Coral Sea, and Santa Cruz and Eastern Solomons, and so that's kind of it, right? That's the but the rest of the war was really about you know pushing forward air power mm-hmm. to you know, to bring Japan under, you know, to bring to bring Japan low. Mm-hmm. And the other part was they always believed that they were going to invade Japan. That's an important, you know, right. the a was a secret. That's, you know, everybody forgets it was a secret because right. they didn't know that they had it. Uh, and having been in a way, when we went to the Gulf War, um, there was a, you know, I had a friend who was a, a major planner and he said, I said, what did you think, you know, after it was over? And he's a you know major guy. He said, well, we used a platinum hammer to, to to beat up a third world power. Mm-hmm. You know, we pulled stuff out that nobody knew we had to win that war. Mm-hmm. And so we were overwhelming. But, you know, the Chinese and the Soviets, uh, and then later the Russians, saw all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, you know, we pulled out the... And so, the, and most people in the planning staff didn't know this stuff existed. I mean, I knew about some of it, but, you know, didn't know this stuff existed until they said, oh, by the way, when you're making this mission, we got this thing. And they go, what the heck is that? And then they would yeah. use it. Right. And so that's what's going on is, you know, the A-bombs like that. So so when you're fighting this war in the Pacific, um, you know, you have these constraints. And carriers are how you move an air envelope forward beyond your air base structure. That's really the main impact of a carrier. In, in and, if you, and if the other side has carriers, yeah, there's a carrier battle, right? Right. But those carriers don't last very long. You know, no. we... You know, they get blown up. And in fact, of most of the battles of 42, all those surface actions occur because the carriers had blown each other into, you know, into non-existence. Yeah. But point. Well, there was and, a point where the there was a point where the basically I think that uh, is it you that said it or is that the the uh, the 1942 uh, uh, air fleets had had hunted each other into extinction. I, yeah. I, I, I thought that was a great way to put it. Yeah, they, the, the, the U.S. Navy, the pre-war navies of the Japanese and the United States annihilated each other, more or less. Yeah. And then we produced another navy. That's how right. I usually characterize the war. Yeah. And that's what happened. Uh, and our and we had and our investments, in, you know, in technology, you know, and, you know, and, and we had different investments in technology. So the radar paid off big time for us, mm-hmm. you know, radar and proximity fuses and all that stuff. Um the Japanese obviously had this amazing torpedo that we didn't have, but you know, as, as you get into bigger distances, that was less. That was less. You know, it was very effective in those confined waters of Guadalcanal. Yeah. But as you got into the bigger, you know, bigger ocean of blue water kind of operations, it had less of an impact. Mm-hmm. And their inability to maintain. By the way, the Japanese never had a shortage of planes. They just had a shortage of pilots. Right. They put, they produced plenty of planes, mm-hmm. you know, but they but they couldn't produce a lot of planes that were always a lot better. They were improving, you know, but 
they couldn't improve as quickly. They had a small industrial base and they had trouble with metals and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So, again, the war is a very fascinating war to play out. And what makes it interesting to me is that, you know, the Japanese, could the Japanese get a negotiated settlement? Not that they could win the war. It was never, I mean, I, I, Meyer, who did Across the Pacific, wrote actually a very interesting book about the fact that, you know, our victory was not inevitable, but realistically, it was a long shot that we were going to, you know, a negotiated settlement was possible, but we were never going to lose the war, if you right. know what I'm saying. Right. Well, I, I think that it was interesting that I was, I was reading, um, there's a book called Implacable Foes. Oh yeah, by these two guys. Uh, I think they're one's at Stanford. Maybe they're both at Stanford. I don't remember. Um, it's an interesting book. It's 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 uh, it's a little it's a little less military history than um, than uh, I'm used to reading. Uh, but but I think what what they're trying to point out is that uh, the, the U.S. public was not this unified sort of yeah let's uh, you know pay any price bear any burden. Um, they were quite pissed off at the the uh, level of casualties that were being suffered uh, and uh, during the island hopping, um, and the uh, and, and and Roosevelt and uh, basically Marshall and everybody were 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 concerned about the Roosevelt was getting letters you know from 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 uh, families of of soldiers that were that were lost and they're like well what the hell you know you, you just lost a thousand guys invading this island I mean it's you know uh, you're a butcher, and uh, and so I think that 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 really informs the way in which um, the planners went about uh, making their their uh, operational sort of uh, planning for the invasion of Japan and how much of a bloodbath that they expected that to be. And if you know Saipan was going to engender all this uh, this public outrage, then you know, uh, Olympic and Coronet were just going to be disasters. So I, I really like the way, and I think that's the, my favorite thing about Empire of the Sun, is that you really make the United States player dread the invasion of Japan. And yes. there's there's no easy, like, oh, you know, I just got to wait till, you know, you're looking at your watch. Oh, is it 1945 yet? No, not yet. Got got an A-bomb coming. Where's that A-bomb? Let's check the A-bomb. Let's open the oven. Ah, A-bomb's got to cook a little longer. Close the, you know, close the oven door. Um, you really are thinking, you know, if I don't, if, if I don't get, uh, and a part of it's beyond your control, right? Because you have to get the uh, Manchuria, the Soviets have to invade Manchuria. Yes. And if they don't do that, sorry, buddy, uh, you're invading. And, uh, and I think that that is, I think that's the best thing. I mean, I, there are a lot of things that are, that I really like about Empire of the Sun, but that's my favorite thing about the whole game uh, is just how with that decision sort of tree, you force the, the allied player, I would say the U S player, it's the allies, but okay. Um, to play the whole game, expecting to invade Japan or, or having to plan for it. I mean, you can, you can, you can just decide I'm not going to plan for that. And, and, uh, Hope that everything works out, and you're gonna, you know, get the A bomb and 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 use this forward knowledge. But you, it's not under your control. So if, if you decide to just uh, uh, disregard that and and um, and play as though you're going to win without invading Japan and, and Manchuria never comes up, you lose. So um, I, I, that's that's I think it's my favorite part of the design. There are a lot of great parts of that design, but that I I, I really admire that sort of uh, brainstorm that you had there. Well, let me one. So let me go back to this idea or theme for a moment. I think it's an interesting moment. 
So the thing that drives, so imagine Empire of the Sun without ISR, without progress of the war, and without political will, mm-hmm. right? And it's right. like, what is it? It's nothing. I mean, there's no game. You know, not even not a game. It's not even a history there. Mm-hmm. And you just pointed out is that they knew that the, and again, I, I did a ton, I mean, you know, again, if you don't do, if you don't know, again, this is not an issue of brain. It's like who, where you spent your time, you know, where did you spend your free time and mm-hmm. what? Spent it reading, you know, about three or four hundred books on the Pacific. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, became doctors, you know, like yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, you read three or four hundred medical books. You, you read a lot of military heads, but other people read like other stuff, you know, and they right. just didn't get into this level of depth. So when when Empire of the Sun first came out, people flipped a nerd rage switch. Some people, not many, some mm-hmm. okay. on political will. There's no way that that was true. Parker said, well, why, you know, because basically if you, if you're the Americans, just wait for the big fleet to come and just smash your way through. Why do I have to keep up on this pace? Why do I lose political will? Why am I, you know, why is there a negotiated settlement? This is a historical. The answer is only if you don't, didn't read the books, only didn't do the, and so as you just mentioned, so that theme is only real to you if you know something about it. But a lot of people thought it was very Mm unthematic because that's not true. Well, the answer is, we could all argue about what's true, but there are a lot of there's a lot of evidence that what I'm saying is true. Right. Uh, it's my interpretation and how I put it into a game. And people moan about ISR. Oh my God! You think like I had, I had um, you know I had taken their children, I kidnapped their children sometimes. Right. But the reality is, and by the way, I would never kidnap anybody's children. But, <laughs> but I love children and my little granddaughter. But my my point is is that um, that ISR in the real war. The Army and the Navy, for both sides, by the way, which is what made it an interesting rule for the game, mm-hmm. they didn't coordinate well. Okay, Remember, it took literally took an act of U.S. Congress in the 80s to force joint behavior of the U.S. military. Mm-hmm. I mean, because it's all about budgets, right? We fight with each, in peacetime. These are peacetime forces that fought each other tooth and nail for dollars to build ships or build tanks or whatever they were trying to build. Sure. And that bureaucratic um, fighting... Um, made them not friends. You know, they, right. they may have been on the same side, but it's not always clear they were on the same side. Plus, and you had the so, personality of MacArthur. Well, yes, yeah, you had MacArthur. But, but my point is, is that if you don't mix up your Army and your Navy forces like they did, ISR doesn't really affect you that much. If you decide you want to do this kumbaya thing like in, the, in, in, the, like in any war game, and then you get hit with ISR and then everything's a disaster— you, now you, I didn't have a rule that said you can't mix them. I just said that when this happens, you can't coordinate them, and then right. you, see, you feel it, right? Right. That's a theme that, in fact, the entire strategy of the Pacific War doesn't even make sense without ISR because right. they did a lot of dumb things based on the fact is I'm not giving you my carriers. Right. I'm not. Gonna, you can't. I'm invading an island. You're not invading. I mean, you can't believe the stuff that was going on. Mm-hmm. And so that theme is only there if you either accept my view of it. Or that you actually read and say, oh, wow, there's, there's really a thing there. And so theme, again, is based on, not again, this is not a smarts thing. I want to make very clear about it. This is a knowledge thing. Mm-hmm. And knowledge is important if you want to understand theme. And it's just some topics people are more acquainted with naturally than they are with other topics. Sure. That's all. And, if you, and soon we're going to talk about ancient Greece. It's going to get even yep. worse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, that's, yeah, that's actually good. Uh, that's actually a good uh, segue. We are going to talk about the, uh, you know ancient Greece. Um, you are, by the way, um, uh, the author of a solitaire game about ancient Greece uh, called the Peloponnesian War. 
I am. Which was uh, published by Victory Games. Uh, I think it's an under underappreciated title. Yeah, it's actually not. I mean, it was only a label. There was no Victory Games when it came out. Remember, I was already not working. I, I mean, I already had it. You know, I wasn't a, a game designer. I mean, I wasn't a full-time game designer when that game came out already. I was, was already it, I working. Can't, I, I can't remember. I, it seemed to... It... I, I mean, it's sitting on. I I don't remember. That was. Well, let's say it's nineteen ninety something. Right? Oh, then yeah, then yeah, there won't be any victory games. Um, yeah, I, I I left victory games in nineteen eighty seven, so it definitely. It, I remember you know how I how it happened, so I I know where I was when I designed it. So mm. no, I was definitely not working okay. for victory games, and victory games was just a label even to Avalon Hill at that point. There was no staff even. There might have been. There was a guy, an old friend named Kevin Boylan, might have been the last guy standing in New York, uh, but. If he wasn't in the offices, I, then there was nobody there. I don't think he was even there then, Got by it. then. Okay. Well, in any case, there's a game called Peloponnesian War, designed by you, yes. uh, which I will uh, <clears throat> just plug a little bit here. Uh, if you would like an enhanced GMT edition of this game, uh, you... It's already... It's, it's already... Yeah, it's all, it's, yeah, it, it, it's, it's, I, I, I looked it up here today. It's uh, 898 orders. Uh, so we're we're, we're fine. I think it, uh, yeah. So if you want a copy of this game, it, it, you're you're guaranteed to get one um, at some point because it's going to get printed. It's going to get made. Uh, just it's to, going into art. Just so you know, it's going into art in the late fall. I already talked to Mark Simonich, you know, and and I'm okay. in fact I'm just now as I transition out of France, 1944, and Europe, and on this Eastern Front stuff. Wait, you're transitioning out of it? Is that well, done already? Yeah, it's going. In, yeah, we're in the final uh, production. Holy cow! Okay, that's the Compass Games game, right? That is correct. Yeah, yeah. So uh, no, I'm, I'm so I literally am, you know. Once and what I'm adding. So the Peloponnesian War, I got because of Pericles. I got that. We'll talk about that. I got that all in my head. I don't even need to do any more research because I read it. I did crazy research for Pericles. But I am now adding to the Peloponnesian War game, and I'll probably eventually have an expansion for Pericles at some point, covering the post. Uh, second Peloponnesian period, which is the, the the Corinthian War and and such, and the fall of Sparta. Okay. Uh, what? Uh, th- that's all. That's all part of that. Of that. Uh, enha- is that why it's an enhanced edition? Correct. It's going to have that. That what I just told you about. There will be at least one, probably two more scenarios. See, the original game only has, you know, the Second Peloponnesian War. That's the only thing that's in there. Um, I'm going to add into it the first Peloponnesian War is going to be in there, and I'm going to add in the um, the post fall of Athens period where you know, the fall of Sparta period will be another scenario in the game. So it'll have three three distinct scenarios uh, in the game. That's the enhanced version. That's why it's enhanced. Got it. Um, so anyway, <clears throat> the, uh, the the game we want I want to talk about is uh, Pericles because uh, this is a game that came out. Couple years is it? Is that a twenty seventeen? Okay, it's a twenty seventeen game. And uh, I think you were. I think one of the things that you had mentioned about uh, about Pericles was that it didn't get the buzz that uh, Churchill got uh, post release. And uh, I, I can see exactly why. Well, one is it's uh, ancient Greece. It's not uh, World War Two. So that's just. So it's already it's already at a disadvantage, uh, not and, and for me, can, but for a lot Churchill, of people. Churchill, you can put Churchill on soap and you'd sell it. So yeah, yeah, Churchill's exactly. a great title. Churchill's a great title, right? You know? right. But um, but this is a game that you know I I I learned that you know a lot of what gets sort of uh, 
pushed along in our in our hobbies uh, sort of uh, river current of buzz and and talk uh, has a lot to do with what you can get to the table. So there's this game. I'm going to digress for just a second, but there's a game that just came out called Skies Above the Reich, which is a mm-hmm. uh, solitaire game about uh, shooting down bombers in World War II. And uh, I, I love the design. I think, it's, I think it's really clever. I think it's really well done. Uh, but the key to the, the whole game is that it showed up on my you know, doorstep. The guy back brought a big box from GMT that had, I think it was that, Hitler's Reich, uh, Gallipoli. I can't remember. There's just a whole shipment of stuff that I pre-ordered that all showed up at once. And uh, of all those games, what could I play? Well, th- that afternoon, I could simply pull out Skies Above the Reich read the rules, punch the counters, put the board out, and play, because it's solitaire. Um, I was super excited when Pericles came out. But it took, you know, quite a bit of um, schedule manipulation and emails and phone calls to get... Although it's got a very good solitaire system, by the way, and that's, I think, what saved the game more than anything else. Okay. Well, the thing is, I I don't like playing games designed for opposed play against bots. I just... That's one of my... uh, I got you, but I, I'm just saying that yeah. the with the the reason the game is very well rated, by the way, which mm-hmm. doesn't tells you a lot about any. There's no connection sometimes between that and any reality, but very well rated because a lot of people were able to, you, you know, when you buy a game, right? Right. You want to play it. Right? Mm-hmm. You're about, and you're saying, well, I had to get four people. Well, right. you needed three more people, obviously. You, I assume you were playing. I was playing. So you, you, so you, you it was your schedule and three other schedules. Which in the modern world is not an inconsequential Correct. deal when you're married and you got kids mm-hmm. and also other cause right you got jobs that right. ain't easy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I, I get that, and it's also why I put 28 different scenarios in the game so that people could play it in a short time. In fact, I ran. I, I'll tell you about the tournament I ran at WBC later. Okay. Uh, but um, I think the main thing about um, Pericles was the solitaire system allowed people. To get into it, you know, oh, I got this game, I want to play it. Oh, wait a minute, I can play it solitaire. Let me just learn it solitaire. And that's what I intended the solitaire system to do. But I also intended the solitaire system to say, you know, you may only get Pericles to the table, let's say, two or three times a year. If you, if, you know, because of all the other games, you, you know, GMT, you buy games faster than I, you know, you buy a lot of games. You want to play them, right? That's why you bought them. And so you're going to play Pericles in the rotation once in a while. And so the solitaire system's also there to say, you know, I haven't played in a while. What's a decent opening strategy? That's why the using the strategy matrix, forget about the bots, just saying, oh, this is this is a good set. If I want to go after a rebellion here, this is a good combination of issues to play, you know, so that you can quickly reassimilate things you might have forgotten and play the game, you know, competently, even if you haven't played in a while. So I look at the bots not just as opponents, but as a way to get over the hurdle of even playing the game. And once you haven't played in a while, getting back into it quickly without having to relearn everything because it's all written down for you already to start. And then you can pick up, you know, then you can be more creative once you get past the basics again. So that's what the bots do in my mind, just to put it that way. Okay, fair enough. Um, so <clears throat> the game, I think, is uh, is just like Churchill, uses some, uh, shall we say, interesting mechanics that are not immediately obvious uh the way in which uh fleets and the combat system i think uh is a little not counterintuitive but um 
you sort of the way you it's, calculate it's, it's losses. Accurate, it's sadly accurate to the period. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's a lot of losses, but uh, they're 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 calculated in an interesting way. Um, and the uh, the way in which you manipulate uh, the the two leagues, the dealing league and the the, the Peloponnesian. Peloponnesian league, and and so you have these these uh, what you call the, the the minor powers that you're constantly trying to flip and and and. You have to look at the way that the victory points are set up. Uh, and then there's the whole extra dimension of the, you know, the two players, the two factions playing cards against each other to try to coordinate uh, or not coordinate their um, their military campaigns. So there's the political element. Um, this is a this is a game that has a lot of. I don't like to say a lot of moving parts because it, that's just sort of a cliche, but it has a lot of, of mechanical elements that have specific relationships that are not immediately obvious. And I think this is a game that you really need to play, you know, three, four, five times before you start saying, oh, I, I, I see how I can now optimize my play. Uh, and that's not something that you're going to be able to do just I, learning it. I will just say that I, I, and again, this is based on a real experience. So I played Pericles twice at WBC with all new players. One guy had played, tested an early version of it, but he had forgotten all that by yep. now, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I, and I ended up playing, so that's eight new people, although I played in one of the games. So there was seven, well, there was a switching out. So it was like eight new people got into the game. Sure. And, and it was, and the second game, everybody went, oh. So it only takes, to be fair, it only really takes, I think your crew got pretty close with the second game. You yeah, know, we got play. close, but I think we could have optimized. I mean, it, we, we certainly had a lot oh, of other things. Oh, wait, there is no way to optimize Pericles. I mean, because there's too many, I built into it the chaos and the lack of communication of the period is built into the design. Okay. So optimization is is situational. You know, and it can, and you can have good things happen when it shouldn't, and sometimes, and really well laid plans don't work as well as you hoped. But, but, but what I well anyway, so you were saying, but I just want to make sure that it doesn't take five plays. I don't want to leave that impression. And I will also tell you, by the way, it just turns out that because of something that some somebody did post production, with a very simple change to what I had produced, the two player may be in some ways almost as good as the four player. Really? Why is that? So. Uh, can I take a second? I don't know if anybody even knows anything about Pericles. Pericles, I've become fascinated. To tell the story of the Peloponnesian War, it's a political military struggle, okay? Right. Politics is a – and if you read Thucydides, and oh, also you have to read Xenophon uh, to get the rest of the war, it is a lot about speeches and the strategy and how they thought about how, – how they got to decisions is a big part of the book because – Thucydides is really writing the book as a narrative of how they screwed up, right? And so to understand what they did wrong, you have to understand what was the conversation that got them to this horrible result like the, you know, the Sicilian uh, expedition. And I would tell anybody who's really interested to understand that political thing, if you're trying to say what is really going on here, on YouTube, uh, it was produced by the BBC, and if you type, uh, what's his name, uh, Ben Kingsley, the, the very famous uh, British actor? Yes. There is they do Thucydides almost like Shakespeare, but they 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 do the dialogues from Thucydides with real actors. It's very, very well done. Uh, if you see that, 
and then play the game, you're going to start to say, oh, this is what's going on here. Mm-hmm. Okay. And and so for me, it's those speeches and how those. So what you're viewing in the game is there's a political segment where it's just you and your there's two factions in Sparta. And there's two factions in Athens. And you're dealing with this other faction that you have to cooperate with for the war because it's you versus Sparta or Athens, whichever side you're on. But politically, it's you versus that guy. And and when you do the political phase, there's no connection between the Athenian political phase and the Spartan. They're done in parallel, right? So you're just dealing. So if Bruce and I were the Athenians, and I, I would be dealing with Bruce, and these other two guys are playing Sparta, I'm just dealing with Bruce. And how do I? How do we formulate a strategy for the war, yet at the same time gain political leverage? So I'm ahead of him. I'm controlling the government that I have the assembly in my favor and that things are going the way I want them to go. So I get more honor than he does. And he's trying to do the opposite. And it's in that, in, in that tension is where things go off the rails, right? That's when you start getting gridlock and that's built into the design itself, right? Most of the values are five. So if you're not careful, you're going to end up getting nothing done, right? That's the, that is sure. the nature of the game. Yes. And, and believe me, for me, that's incredibly thematic. You know, that's what happened. But what makes the game interesting in the two players, so you're asking that question, is what happens is, and this was a guy named Philip Jelly, is an English. Oh, uh, I know Philip Jelly. I've interviewed Philip Jelly. Yes, and he's a very, very clever guy. So what I so I, he took what I published for the two-player version in the box, and he added one simple idea, and it was only because how he was going to teach and play with somebody. He said one guy is one guy plays. Each player has one faction in each camp. Right, I'm, I'm both an Athenian and a Spartan faction. Mm-hmm. At the end of the game, I'm going to win based on the combined score of my two factions. So even though, so one side or the other is going to win the war, but I'm going to control my score is my Athenian and my Spartan faction combined is my combined score to win the game. But what becomes interesting, and then when you get to the war phase, what what one of the things I like about it is when you get to the war phase, one guy takes one side. You, you get to run the whole war for Athens or Sparta mm-hmm. based on who's the controlling, uh, who controls the government, and so. Part of the game is which government do I want to be in control of so I can run that part of the war to get more leverage to win the game in my combined score. Can you roll, can you control both governments? Yes, and in that case you have to let you have to pick which one but in that case you get to pick which one you want to run. I see, I see. Yeah, you never get to run both sides. No, that you don't get to do. But the point is if you control both governments, then you could say, Well, I want to be Athenian this turn, maybe next turn I want to be Spartan. So it gives you that total leverage to control the pace of the war mm-hmm. in the sense. But what makes it fascinating is the political stuff gets really it's like the it's like the political and the four player game is amped up by like another notch. Hmm. And then the whole peace thing makes a big difference, because if I can get peace, if I can get one faction on each side to declare peace, that's 20 points. And so the peace thing and the ostracism thing become far more intense in the two player game. So I would offer to you that uh, it's really worth doing once and you'll see what I'm talking about. Interesting. That's fascinating. I was, okay. I was always surprised by that. That was a surprise to me. Hmm. Well, that's um, gosh. Maybe I should maybe I should post that as a potential for Don. How uh, how much time do we want to spend learning well, another I, game? Well, let's go back to the. I don't want to go back to your agenda for your big. <laughs> uh, well, I am glad to see that two two grown men are playing games and not you know chase going to bars. I that's right. Say, I'm very yeah. proud of you guys. Well done. <laughs> yeah, or or sad. One of the other two. Uh, no, no, yeah. no, 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 no. So, no. At this point in your lives, that's yeah, a good thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, so let's go back to uh, let's go back to, to Pericles. So 
So Pericles uh, is a game in which, by the way, just we were talking about that uh, the 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 mechanic of each each um, faction on a side plays these cards to control certain issues that allow them to place uh, pieces that will then allow them to drive the the board. But let me let me step back. For what is really going on? I think is more interesting. So what would happen is there would be an assembly, right? And somebody would say we should launch a military expedition to, you know, to knock out, uh, you know, Samos, like just pick, which if they were in revolt and we got to send somebody over there to go get these guys under control. So the debate would often be, you know, one, should we launch the, ex- should that be what we do, you know, militarily, right? That's the first part. But the second part is who gets to run the show? Because that's where the real juice, the got the, the saw, the faction that is the general in charge of that expedition is going to garner a bit more honor out of the result, but but both sides gain. You know, if we win, me and my faction teammate both gain honor. But if I'm the general in charge, I get a little bit more honor. But if we but if we screw up, right? If it goes bad, we both lose equally. So it, there's no reason for you to tank me, because if you tank me, then you're just going to lose honor also, and it's not going to. You don't gain anything on me by doing that, right? That's an important game mechanic. But the point is, is that that discussion of who's in charge and how we do this and do that is the, is what they were doing in these assemblies. Right. And then players go to me, well, I want to keep all that secret from the other side because they're sitting right across the table. We're talking out loud. We're playing cards. They can look over the board, see what we're doing. Right. They had no concept in Greek, ancient Greece of classified information. <laughs> okay. So in other words, imagine you've got this gigantic, uh, it's on a hilltop, right. Mm-hmm. And you're yelling at their lungs. so Everybody can hear them. Right. Mm-hmm. You let's say you're a Spartan agent, right? Mm-hmm. You're not you're in Athens, you're a Spartan agent, or more importantly, you're a neutral guy from another place, but you know that if you could bring information to Sparta, they'll give you a few bucks, right? You know, a little right. money on it, they'll give you a better trade deal, whatever it's gonna be. So you're some guy from you know, from out there, you're from Caria, and you end up in town selling grain, but you hear that the assembly's in. And so there's literally like a line. It's, it's actually a red, you know, there's a cord. If you're not a citizen, you can't go on the other side of this, this rope. Right. That's what's there. OK. However, there's no it's not a room. It's on the hillside. So I can I'm allowed to stand there and listen to the entire conversation. Mm-hmm. Everything you discuss, everything that gets decided, I just listen to it. And then I get get on my get on my cart and I roll south. I go to Sparta. Go, hey, by the way, uh, a week ago when I was in Athens, which is about how long it takes to get there, about a week or so, 10 days, depending on how fast you go. Uh, this is what they said. They're going to go launch an attack on Samos, by the way. Oh, that's interesting. You know, it's like that's, that's literally what was happening. So there is no hidden information, literally, in that period. Mm-hmm. Well, <clears throat> speaking of that, that's a great segue to uh, when you are playing these cards for uh, for political – in, in the assembly, yeah. Can you just tell the other person what you're do- – can you, can you guys just collude no. and say, okay, no. I'm going to take this one. You take that one. I'll take this one. You take that one. I'm very clear on that in the rules, but remember there's a whole section on what is secret information. Yeah, I, 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 have, I haven't played it in a year, so I'm sorry. If it's in the rules, I'll just you just tell me because I can't remember. No, you cannot. Okay. You, the only time you can talk is saying, hey, I'm going to play a really weak card right now. You can't do that. In other words – we're now going to debate this issue, and you have to play your card. Now, after that, you can talk about strategy. You can talk about beforehand. Look, we need to get at least two military expeditions and a, and a league, you know, on into play so we can go do the, this mm-hmm. thing. That you can do. But when you're actually playing the cards, you shouldn't be having any conversations other than this is the issue we're going to debate now. Play a card. Got it. And okay. the reason for that is, is that the 
So for people, if you play a card, every card has a value from one to five, and, it, and they're evenly distributed by the two decks, right? So they're even uh, for both sides. And 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 each card has dual use. When you get dealt a card, you turn it like a joker, you know, like a like a um, a jack. And you turn it so that it upward is your side, so you can mm -hmm. see what it says. Yep. And they're different on both sides, but you have to play your side of the card. Mm -hmm. And if there's a picture of an issue and you play the card on that issue, you both get the value of the card plus an issue bonus. And if you, anytime you play a card aligned to an issue, whether you win it, lose it, or it's a draw, you get strategos, you get political capital that you use to run the game. So that's the important mechanic. Now, there are a bunch of cards. Most cards issue aligned are a value of five. Most of the cards are valued five if you play them on the issue. So if we then blithely go into war, and we, you know, we're going to play this military, we both play fives, nothing happens, right? The card is going to go, the issue stays in the middle, Nothing. nobody wins it, right? Because it's the same value. Right. Win. So there's a bunch of cards that are worth, there's a few cards that are worth fours. And there's a few cards that are worth, you know, sixes, sevens, and I think there's even an eight. Procedus is like an eight mm -hmm. on a military issue. So you have to figure out, you know, empathetically, you know what, I'm going to play this four military issue knowing I'm going to probably lose to a five, but I'll still get a Stratagos for that. You know, I'm still going to get political capital, you know, the debate, but I now know that he's going to launch a military expedition. Yep. And by the way, if you were to win every issue, mm -hmm. you wouldn't have enough Stratagos to fuel that much effort. Right. You have yeah, we found that out. <laughs> that was our first learning game. That's exactly the first thing. Look, I'm going to win this and then win this. And then it's like, oh, I, I didn't get any Stratagos. Or I got Stratagos, but not enough to do all of that. Yeah, right. You know, I got Stratagos because you won all those issues. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah, initial get, launch. Yeah. You get Stratagos, but you know, there's there's um, there's 26 uh, in play every turn, unless there's like some events take some out if you fail. You know, there's but you're you're gonna be dealing with 20, 21 to 26 tokens. Right. You're gonna get like 10 to 12. Yeah, yeah, that, right? yeah. That's what it was. And it was, it was, it was something. I just remember we. I just remember we ran into that the first the, our first learning yeah. game, and then of course by the second game nobody made that mistake. Well, again, that's again. You're, I'm making, and, and this goes by why my, a lot of my games, and this is why Fort Sumter is working for the general public, mm -hmm. and why Pericles is a tougher, tougher sell for time, not for a game, because it's well done, I think. But it's that, it's that this, this. There's a lot of nuance in this, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's not immediately obvious that you know. Look, I played games my whole life. If I, if I got cards, my goal is to win every trick, right? I'm playing bridge. Right. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm going for a grand slam every time I play the game. And the answer is, in this game, doing that is a recipe for disaster, uh, which is good because that's really the, the, the reality is, is that you got to kind of it's political, right? You can't have it all, although somebody should tell our should tell that to a lot of other people right now. Hmm. But you can't have it all. And so you got to figure out where you're going to pick your battles and how you accumulate the right amount of stuff so that you can be in charge of the government, that you can have the assembly behind you, and you can be the general in charge of major expeditions that succeed. Failures are not that great. So that is really the political part of the game, and it drives the military. The military, in the real world, uh, and this is where most of our political theory comes from, it's, it's the, you know, remember, the, the military is the blunt instrument of politics, right? Not the other way around. And so the politics is what's driving this military um, War and by the way, another thing in this game is peace is actually a strategy. You don't have to be at war to kill each other. You just don't can't kill each other directly. Right. <laughs> so that's a subtlety that some people forget. Like, hey, well, let's go to war, and when we finish destroying them, it'll be over. Well, the answer is sometimes it's a political strategy to stop the war, 
to do other things that you can block and you can hold on to things and you can build up and then go back to war again. So, right. you know, that's all built into the game. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I think it's in that sense, I think it's very well themed. Uh, now, whether that's a part of my knowing about the Peloponnesian War or not, uh, I just th I feel like that <clears throat> both both um, Churchill and Pericles, while working on a, on you know different topics and different systems, uh, still work uh, great uh, in different ways. I'm just very um, I'm very impressed by the way that that stuff uh, sort of shook out. Now I want to. Uh, We've been talking for a while. Um, I do want to wrap up, but I, I want to ask you one final thing. Sure. You have a game coming out called mm -hmm. Versailles 1919. Mm -hmm. Is that going to be like Fort Sumter? What what uh, what what am I? What because I, I I'm, I'm I've got my my mouse hovering over the GMT webpage P500 pre-order, uh, and I don't know what to do. Help me make a decision here. I think that well, one it's first of all it's not a 20 minute game. It's about a it's about a 90 to two hour game. Ooh, okay. okay. I like that. See, that's what I'm trying to say. Uh, my daughter would not have agreed with you, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, and so let me, let me describe Versailles. So Versailles has the, the image that the, the game has on, it's got a display. It doesn't have a board. You know, there's no board. It is a big, there's a board, but there's, it's really a big display. And, you are either Woodrow Wilson or Clemenceau or Lloyd George or Orlando from Italy, and the Japanese are like a non-player character in the game. So there's no Japanese player, but the Japanese figure into this thing, whether they'll sign the treaty or not. Mm -hmm. And you have 15 political tokens, and you got three military pieces, which represent military. They're not anything specific. Mm -hmm. And... What happens is in the room that you're sitting in, imagine you're sitting in a room, there's two issues on the table. It could be something like, um, you know, uh, Slovakia. It could be um, it could be it could be reparations. You know, there, the, 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 there's a really good theming on the issue. And there's two of them in the room. And there's a person sitting in the room who's a person like it could be Winston Churchill is sitting in the room with you. And there's a card that has him on it. Or it could be, you know, it could be T.E. Lawrence or it could be. Uh, you know, uh, Faisal or somebody, there's some individual that's sitting in the room with you at that time. And you're putting, uh, it's a very straightforward game. It, it moves along very crisply and is a good, good interview on um, about, it was done by the Players Aid, did a nice uh, interview with me at the game describing it, but so you can see it a little bit mm -hmm. uh, from WBC. So you should go see that before okay. you go buy it. Um, and then what ends up happening is, is that you, in your turn, you're either placing more political influence on issues. It could be, and, oh, and outside of the room, there's a waiting room that has three issues and two people, right? So that's what's outside the room. So inside the room, two issues and one person outside. And what happens is issues get, in your turn, you can either put political influence in or settle an issue. And one is to recover, you know, exhausted political capital. But that's, that's a, that, that's when your turn takes 10 seconds. Okay. But. Assuming you have political capital, you're either going to put more on issues or you're going to settle an issue. When you settle an issue, there's a process by which, <clears throat> you know, the conference, the, the person in the room's event hits. <clears throat> the you now on the issue, there are choices. In other words, it'll say uh, a good one is Korea. Let, let's look at Korea. Korea is an issue for the Pacific region. There's five regions, by the way. Korea, you can if you make Korea independent. It makes the Japanese very unhappy, and it creates discontent in Japan. 
if you make it an, a protectorate of Japan, the Japanese are very happy. So there are choices within – once the issue gets settled, you get to pick amongst – usually from – there's always at least two and sometimes there's four choices about how you want that issue implemented because you settled the issue. Okay? okay, fair enough. And it has an effect on how the game plays out. Okay. And, you know, winning issues gives you victory points. Mm-hmm. Uh, and – but what, what also happens is that – when you sell an issue a certain way, discontent goes into the regions of Europe, the Balkans, mm-hmm. the Pacific, Africa, and um, and the Middle East. Mm-hmm. And so unrest builds up in these regions. And then part of the process is as you as you bring so after you sell an issue, that issue goes to somebody's tableau. You bring an issue from the waiting room into the room, mm-hmm. and you bring one of the two people into the room. Then when you replace the issue on the in the waiting room, there's a, I won't go into the whole process, mm-hmm. but a new card, event card gets thrown in, and it has what I call a crisis event. So every card, once a card is revealed in the waiting room, something happens immediately in the game. It could mm-hmm. be an uprising in one of the regions. Okay. And there's reason to deploy military there. And, you know, there's a whole bunch of stuff around, you know, and when, and when a region goes in, into uprising, which it may or may not do, but as, it, as the game goes on, it ha- you should see about eight or nine uprisings over the course of the game. It unsettles issues from issues that were already settled for mm-hmm. that region now unsettled, and then there's mm-hmm. a process for rebidding them. So there's sort of this natural flow of, you know, you're going, oh, I got a lot of Balkan issues. The Balkans look, look like it's going to blow. Maybe I should send some military in there and kind of calm it down a little bit. You Interesting. Know, okay. Bit. But every time you move a military, you you create discontent, and your domestic your domestic area becomes more discontented. Uh-huh. And there's demobilization and all sorts of little things, but it's a that's that's the gist of the game and obviously mm-hmm. at the end oh and then lastly there are you you deal out there are 10 strategy cards mm-hmm. and like a strategy card would be titled 14 points right okay. so you deal out one card more than number of players so if you've got four players you deal out five cards and after the first uprising and these cards have been out since the beginning of the game so everybody can see what's on them and what their choices are like mm-hmm. it could be four points that could be you know heavy german reparation it could be global trade i mean there's different strategies you go around the table from lowest that you know lowest score to highest score after the first uprising, and everybody picks a strategy. And at the end of the game, there's a sort of a bonus scoring. And a good just to give you an example, like I was France in this game uh, at WBC, and um, Grant from Players Aid was the United States. And in our, in the case of our, our you know, and everybody can see the strategy, not hidden, right? So I can see his strategy. Mm-hmm. If Italy and Japan don't sign the treaty it's not going to be good for the United States and France. Mm-hmm. And I talked to the United States, look, we need to try to get, you know, the discontent in Japan and Italy low enough. Remember, Italy is, a, is an active player, so mm-hmm. they're not necessarily getting along on this idea. Mm-hmm. we got to get them calmer so they'll sign the treaty, and then we'll score these bonus points, which and ultimately gave us first and second place, by the way. Mm-hmm. We actually did things, you know, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna let the Japanese have a mandate to calm them down around Korea. We literally did that. I mean, those are choices that we made based on this strategy. And, you know, it, it really played well. So it's, it's okay. kind of cool. All right. Well, here we go. I'm, like Click, it. I'm I, clicking on it. I'm clicking placing order. All right. There we go. All right. All done. That's... How are you going to yell at me? You'll say, oh, it's not thematic. Mark. It's, it's like Fort Sumter. I hate it. I don't know. Uh, we're going to find out. We're going to find out. Maybe we'll have another conversation about uh, about Versailles. But that's it's fascinating, the, the, the mechanic. I really like uh, what you're describing. We'll see how that works out in practice. But uh, yeah. very nice. Well, 
Mark, thank you so much for uh, taking uh, so much time out and talking to me. And uh, we will meet at one of these um, one of these uh, conventions. One of the, I'm, I'm planning on attending both uh, Consum World Expo and WBC next year. So hopefully, oh, okay. we'll... sorry, we'll definitely see you at WBC. So let's make sure we coordinate so we play some games together. Sounds great. I'd love to. And number two, I will be at Consum World as long as I don't get sick this time. Okay, I would have been this year. All right, and well, then we'll then we've got a we've got a plan. Uh, perfect. We'll play, uh, we can play Central America. Oh, please. <laughs> <laughs> I'll play in part of the song with you if you All want. Right. Sounds good. All, All right, right, Mark. Thanks so much for talking. Take care. Bye-bye.